Hi, you're about to hear a message entitled, A God-Hearted Man, presented by Jay Cookenham. Jay is with Strategic Father Ministries. He is with us from Hyde Park, New York. This workshop was part of Iron Sharpens Iron's Men's Conference, hosted by Gathering of Men at London Bridge Baptist Church of Virginia Beach on Saturday, October 14, 2017. I pray this message will challenge and encourage you as you walk with Christ and lead your family. All right, my name is Jay Cookingham. You can call me dude. You can call me anything that you like. Uh, I have been happily married to the same woman for 35 years. She's with me on this trip, and she's out having fun, hopefully, uh, with three of my children. I have seven kids. Again, only one wife. I just mentioned her. Okay. One wife, seven kids. Okay. So it's... You know, it's it's being a part of a large family is uh, is both adventurous and and I like to wander a lot. I'm sorry, you know. So the last people that videotaped me had a hard problem in the big church because I was all over the church. So <laughs> part of my nervous energy. But being part of a uh, family like that is just great, you know. So I, I love my kids. I love my wife. I also, as a matter of introduction, I serve as pastor for for a small church in High Park, New York. Anybody here to High Park? One guy, a couple guys. Vic, stand up. This is my buddy Vic. Say hi to Vic. Vic uh, is a trader. He left New York and moved down here. So, you know, you, but I love him still, you know. Uh, God sent him to you. That's all I can say. That's right. I don't need another one. But being a pastor of a, of a small church, how many pastors here? Oh, there, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know when you're standing up front, and even like this thing, you, you get to see a lot of things when you look out in the crowd, right? You get to see a lot of different reactions. And so I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you some outs okay, this morning because there's one action that happens in almost every crowd, and it's this, this action. Ready for it? <laughs> the nodding action, right? Yep. It's going to be okay. I'm just going to pretend that you're agreeing with me, okay? So that no matter what I say, you're there. You're like, yes, Jay. Yes, Jay. So that's all good. There's this new one that is like this, you know, you know, the little hand wave. I don't know what to pretend that is, but, you know, that's okay. You can do that too. Uh, I guess the um, reason why I'm here, I love doing Iron Sharpens Iron. I love doing men's events. I love being able to, to come and hopefully express to you guys uh, part of the journey that I've been on. And, yes, we're going to talk about a God-hearted man, but I'm going to weave how God did that and is still doing that with me today. But we're really going to need God's help to do that. So let's pray together, all right? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day because it is the day that you have made and we will rejoice in it. Because we have a great God. We have a good, good Father who loves us desperately. And you're here with us. You want to be with us. You desire to be with us. And your heart oh, is towards us. So we're excited about that this morning. We're, we're thrilled to be called your sons this morning. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has not bent his knee to you yet, by the end of today, they will meet you as Lord and Savior and meet you as Father. But for this moment right now, for the next, you know, five hours that we're here together in this classroom together, <laughs> for the amount of time that we get to share our hearts together, that you come and impart your wisdom to us. I, I, in order for that to happen, I ask you that you would empty me of me and that you would just fill me with yourself so that every word that's spoken, everything that is expressed is only your heart and only your words get remembered here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, <laughs> now I'm going to start the timer that I'm going to uh, hopefully pay attention to so I get you guys out of here in plenty of time for lunch. You heard me say before that, did I lose somebody else? No, somebody else came in. Wow, we lost one game one. Thank you very much. Emmenberg said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. This, this is a profound statement. It's, it's, a, it's a profound thought. 
And I think God put it a similar thought the same way, and it's found in Ezekiel 22.30. He says, I looked for someone who might rebuild a wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. And God adds, but I found no one. I could hear those they, 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 those two statements. The one being scripture, of course, mirrors that that quote so closely. That for evil and you, we look the, the world seems like a mad dog. We just we want to put it out of its misery right now. Everything seems to be falling apart. You know, marriage is attacked, family is attacked. Christianity, we heard a little bit this morning. It's just you know everything. We're extremists now. You know, you're a, a room full of extremists right now. Because of the faith that you carry, the faith that you profess, but once used to be commonplace, you know, Christianity is now looked at as some kind of an extremist movement. Is this is the land that we live in, and this is the world that we have to bring the gospel into. And God wants us to be God-hearted men, men that are not afraid to engage the world. Human trafficking has surpassed the illegal sales of arms in the world. $150 billion spent on human trafficking. And that's all that they could probably figure out because a lot of it is not reported, of course. But it has surpassed the sales of arms in the world. $150 billion. There are about 60 million people caught in human trafficking around the world. The average age of this is 14. 14. Since abortion was legalized in this country in 1973, 60 million babies have been aborted. That is just under the population of New York State and California combined. Two whole states of children wiped out of existence because good men refuse to do something about it. Tonight, all across the United States, 20 million children will sleep in fatherless homes. At age 17, I walked into the woods with a hunting knife in front of me. I, I skipped school that day, and I went into the woods. My friends and I had built a, uh, built a log cabin in the woods, about three miles into the woods. Quite an ingenious project, by the way. But we b- built it solely for the, so we had a place to party that was out of sight, out of mind. It was, like I said, three to four miles in the, in the woods, and only, only we knew where it was, about ten of us. That's not a good idea, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I had a small accident when I was speaking today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you poke your eye out, kid. Yeah. Oh, that was close. I, I did that. So I had skipped school that day, went out to this log cabin, and there was a big cliff by this uh, uh, cabin. And I sat on top of that cliff, and I, I was about to slip my wrist and bleed out. I had left a suicide tape at home on a reel-to-reel. Remember the reel-to-reels? Those of those, remember those? I mean, you know. Talk about technology, right? And I, uh, and I walked into the woods to commit suicide. You might wonder why a 17-year-old, perfectly healthy, would want to walk into the woods to commit suicide. Uh, for about 10 years prior, I had been sexually abused by my dad. Uh, 
physically abused by my dad, verbally abused by my dad, almost every kind of abuse that you can possibly think of. Uh, he did. So at age 17, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it anymore. And so, and, and so I went into the woods to, to do this deed. Obviously, I didn't do it. I'm still here. But there's a journey between that knife and where I stand today, a, a married man of 36 years, with seven wonderful kids, being the pastor of a small church in a small town. There's a journey there. See, there, my father was one of those guys who, who was abandoned by his own father. He has his own story. He has his own set of issues and abuse. And there was the what Sean touched about today, you know, what he imparted into his own children. I wasn't the only, we, I had five siblings and I wasn't the only one that was abused. I am the only one that found Jesus. But. So you, you're talking about impartation, about, you know, what happens when we impart these dangerous vices into, in, into our legacy and into our, and what happens and leads young people to want to take their lives. Maybe not this way. But in many ways. So uh, just prior to this event in the woods, I, I, I had met Jesus Christ when I was seven years old. I had, a, 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 we moved next door to a Christian family and, and they brought me to church and I, and I found out who Jesus was. And it was the strangest thing because I walk into this building where there's people happy and there are people who are singing and, and, and I just can't blow my mind because I had never stepped in, in a, a church before. didn't even know what church was. Up to this point, Jesus Christ was not a person. He was a swear word that came out of my father's mouth. And so at the end of this service, when, when they said, would you like to meet Jesus? What? Yeah. I practically ran down to the altar. I want to meet this Jesus. But here, as a seven-year-old mind, this is what I was thinking. At the, at the back of the platform, there was doors. There were several doors. And I thought that Jesus was going to come out of one of those doors at any moment. Because they said, come down here to meet Jesus. This is how my mind was working. And, and so to think that, that Jesus could walk out of those doors at any moment and, and, and accept me and love me was a powerful draw. See, as a seven-year-old, I didn't understand the concept of sin. I didn't know, am I sinful? Am I bad? Am I wrong? I don't understand, but I understood love. I've never experienced it before. So here, here's this seven-year-old. He gives his heart to Jesus Christ, and that's when the abuse began. That's where the abuse began. I was I was beaten before that. I, I I was criticized. You know you know my my for years I thought my name was you worthless piece of fill in the blank because that's how my father called me. He didn't call me by name. Come here, you worthless piece of. But at age seven, that's where the sexual abuse started to happen. I know this is uncomfortable. I understand. It gets better. So this, this seven-year-old, he, he's, he just gives his heart to Jesus Christ. He's beginning to try to live for Christ. He's trying to walk this faith out. And he, night after night, night after night, the abuse happens. There isn't a night that doesn't go by when the abuse doesn't happen. And at age 13, he starts to head towards that night. He starts to drink. He starts to do drugs. He starts to run away as, as far as he can get from God because God is now another person who's trying to hurt me. At least this is what I'm thinking at this point. So he starts to head towards his knife and then at age 17 he walks in and says, I just, I'm, it's the thing is, I never stopped believing in God. I 
I just wanted to hurt God. So, what does this have to do with being a God-hearted man? See, the enemy was really trying to, to, to kill any identity that I had in Christ Jesus. He was allowed, you know, this, this abuse that, that happened night after night. The, the, when I got involved with drugs and drinking, and I, I, I almost died twice from that, by the way, before I even got to this. I had a death wish. And I was heading towards the permanent solution, what I thought. But I started to feel like this was this was just a, I was broken. I was beyond hope that, that even God couldn't love me in, in, into wholeness. I'm on the cliff. I am holding this knife. I have run as far as away from God as you can get. It's on my wrist. I am ready to slide. I am all alone in the woods. It is three to four miles in the woods. I am all alone, and I heard the word stop. And I can tell you I heard the word stop, not here, but here. I'm looking around. There is nobody in this woods but me. Nobody is in. There is nobody around. I had dropped the knife. I'm I'm scared. I'm frightened. I'm worried. I don't know what's going on. And and then I knew whose voice that was. I picked up the knife. I I put it back in its sheath. And I went home. Not... Not not more than two weeks later, I'm in the same woods, the same cabin, and I am drinking myself to death. I am absolutely pouring one beer after another. Down. I had already drank some other stuff. I am just pouring stuff down my throat, hoping that I can stop the pain. I, God's voice is still ringing in my ear, but I'm I'm still running. Play the game of shotgun, down seven beers in one less than a minute. Stand up and fall flat on my face. My friends are laughing. They think I'm just passed out. They pick me up and throw me on the cot. The only problem is I couldn't move, but I could hear everything that was going on. Everything that was going on. They're laughing at me, saying, oh, he'll you know, be all right. He'll sleep it off. And I'm laying on the cot, and all of a sudden I feel my feet get cold. And I feel up to my knees get cold. And it gets up to my waist, and that feels cold. And I know that I am slowly dying, that life is just leaving me. It gets to my chest, and I hear that same voice, that same wonderful, powerful voice saying, Jay, is this the way you want it to end? And I just said yes to you, but no to that. I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning. It was the first time ever not having a hangover. I went back to church for the first time in more than several months. And better than any Hollywood script, the sermon that day was the prodigal son. You couldn't make that up. Only God does that. Gave my heart back to Jesus and started again to try to to walk in in this new power that I felt. Uh, you know that, that I knew I knew that God loved me. I, there was no question now in my mind that God was after my heart. That He was going to do anything to keep me alive so I could follow Him, but also so He could set me free. See, the real point about being a God-hearted man is not to be more obedient; is to be more free. Because the more free you are the more you will follow God. See, the more free you are, the more that you obey God because you love Him so much. John 3 once says this about our identity. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called what? Children of God. And so we are. 
And the reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know Him. And Romans 8.16 reminds us, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. See, becoming a godly man is not just transforming into a God-hearted man. It is really transforming into His Son. Knowing who we are in Christ. When I became, when I came back to the Lord at this time, the thing that I was struggling with most was my identity. Was I going to be that wounded little boy for the rest of my life? Or was I going to believe what God said about me in His Word, in these two scriptures and many more that affirm our sonship? That is the first step in becoming a God-hearted man, is knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. It has to start there. It has to start there. Otherwise, the rest of it becomes just rules and, and legal stuff. And I'm saying, you know, no one ever got saved by a list. They get saved by love. They get changed by love. And that's the way I began to do this journey with him. Is fully understand who I was in Jesus Christ, his son. All right, I'm going to just dive into this. All right. I believe that uh, this, you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to start to talk about what I think is a three-pronged attack against the enemy to assure that we have a, a heart that is after God. Okay, these are just three points. I have four fingers up because I don't know how to count. Okay. <laughs> and I can't really bend this one because I dislocated it so many times, it doesn't go down very easily. So, Three fingers. <laughs> and I want to get, get going on this because some of you guys need. Okay. First of all, you've got to know that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, right? Ephesians 6.12. But we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. And 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy what? Strongholds. How many guys in the military here have been in the military? God bless you. Thank you for serving our nation, first of all. Thank you. Thank you for your service. But if I mention having an open, uh, an open line of communication, you know what I'm talking about and how important it is to have an open line of communication. It's how battle strategy is, is, is passed along to the various troops, and, and you must have an open line. Because that gets broken, well, chaos can happen. You don't know where to go. You don't know where the enemy is. You don't know what the orders are. Well, here's the first prong. It's prayer. Prayer is the first prong of attack. A God-hearted man prays because prayer aligns my heart with his will. Prayer aligns my heart with his will. First Timothy 2.8 says this, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or without disputing. That word, the Greek word for disputing there, actually means to doubt. He wants us to, to lift up prayers and to keep the line of communication open without doubt, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God wants to answer us our prayer. Now, here's the big thing, I think, for people, you know, when they say, yes, I, I know God will answer my prayers, but will you trust Him with the answers? See, sometimes... We trust God to answer our prayers because we think He's going to give us the answers we want. But sometimes, maybe even a lot of times, those answers don't line up exactly with what we want. But because God is good, will we trust His answers when we pray? That's trusting Him without doubt. And prayer also strengthens, uh, strengthens sorry, our soul for the battles we face. Psalm 138.3 says this, On the day I called, you answered me, and my strength of soul 
you increase. That word for uh, soul means your true self. It actually means to grab someone by the throat. You grab someone by the throat while you have your attention, right? You know, I know my father used to grab me by the throat. I knew he he had my attention, <laughs> you know, and it happened quite often. But I don't, this is beautiful. Basically what the scripture is saying is, on the day I called, you answered me and you made me strong to the core. This is really what that, that, that Hebrew word says. One of the greatest miracles I ever saw, uh, my son Matthew and his brother Michael, uh, they're both in their 20s now, but they were both like 8 and 9 or 10, and they went fishing with their grandfather. And Mikey was casting like this, and Matthew walked behind him and took it right in the eye. His grandfather, of course, rushed him back to our, uh, to, it was at their house, uh, we laid them on the kitchen table real quick just to see the damage of everything. And I actually watched his whole eye fill up with blood. It just, and so it was a Sunday. We took him to uh, an eye surgeon who just happened to say he would meet us. Uh, it was about 45 minutes away from where we were. We drove like crazy to get there. Uh, he takes him in. And on the way there, Matthew was like doing one of these. And he's going, he goes, Dad, I, I don't know. I I think it's getting better. I think it's getting better. And I said, okay, I, you know, he's, he's eight-year-old. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. And we get there, and the doctor takes him into the examining room, and he, about less than like two minutes later, he comes down, and he goes, shaking his head. And I'm, you know, doctors shake their head. You're thinking the worst kind of thing. <laughs> you know, he's shaking his head. And he goes, Mr. Cookingham, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, again, I'm still kind of like, okay, what's going on? And he says, um, in all my years, this is absolutely the worst eye injury I've ever seen. But I'm looking and examining the eye, and it's actually healing itself as I'm looking at it. He says, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I know what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> we prayed all the way over here, and my God is a mighty God. And he's healing my son's eye. He goes, I'm an atheist. But I don't know what to say. <laughs> he goes in and examines Matt some more. And basically the long story of this is that he, but my, all Matt had to do was take some eye drops for, for about two weeks just to keep out the infection. It's all perfectly fine. He wears contacts only because his dad has poor eyesight. That's the only reason why. God answers prayer. But I want to tell you something. If Matt had lost his eye, God still answers prayer. And God is still good. Because he would have helped Matt deal with that, grow with that. And the funny thing is, my son knew that at eight years old. And I was so privileged to be able to see that. The Father strengthens our soul when we connect in prayer. This, we have to pray as men. If we want to have a heart that's after God's heart, that aligns our heart with Him so that we know how to pray, I can't tell you, knowing how to pray is, is as important as just, I'm going to pray about it. That's why we have to have an open line of communication so that the Father can tell us what to pray, teach our Holy, through the Holy Spirit to teach our spirit how to pray. See, when I was driving, well, my sister-in-law was driving like a, a maniac to get there, and I was praying. I said, Father, you can reconstruct this eye. And he did. Because that's what he placed in me. He placed that faith in me in order to pray that way. So we got to pray. Okay, second one. You might be able to see the pattern here. The first one, the first prong of attack is prayer. The second prong of attack is what? The Word. This contains all the battle strategy that we need. All the battle strategy we need. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost 
thoughts and desires. I have another prop. I had to figure out how to get this here very carefully. And if you thought I could cut myself with the other thing. I got this. You didn't know this was going to be labor intensive, did you? I do, I, and I have a knife in my pocket. Anybody know what that is? The Batleth. Yep, Klingon Batleth. Uh, if you're a Star Trek guy like me, uh, the Klingons, one of the races in uh, Star Trek, are, uh, are a race of warriors. And they each have their own. De- individually designed backlit. I can assure you this is short because I've cut myself many times trying to flip it. Um, I got this when I was uh, on my 50th birthday. Uh, all my sons and my daughters get a sword uh, for a manhood ceremony or a womanhood ceremony when, they're, when they turn 13. And they honored me one on my 50th. The word is sharper than this. I can I can assure you that if you put your finger around this, you're going to cut yourself or poke yourself or something. It is very sharp, but the word is sharper than this. And the fact that the word gets to our innermost being means it exposes us. So here's the thing I love about God. God is light. <laughs> and God exposes things not to condemn us. God exposes things to free us. See, sometimes as men, we don't want our past exposed. We don't want people to find out about those secret areas of our life because we, we think that everyone will either make fun of us or they'll hate us or they'll despise us, just fill in the blank. But God says, I, don't, I expose you not because I want to embarrass you. I expose these things so that you can be healed and free and, be, and have a heart that follows me. See, that's the whole point. That's why God, His Word is so sharp. That's why it divides things between joint and marrow. It gets to the intermost thoughts and our desires, and it brings it into the light so that He can heal it, so that He can free us, and so that our heart starts to beat like His. See, a God-hearted man doesn't have to be afraid of his father because his father only means it for good. There's nothing abusive about God. Nothing abusive about God. A God-hearted man studies and he obeys the Word. You ever heard that term, winging it? How many guys here have winged it? <laughs> yeah, I, when, my, when my kids were, I had only like three kids, and I, my grandfather, uh, uh, their grandfather bought them a swing set, and so me and my best friend, we thought we put it together. Yeah, yeah. without reading the instructions, because we were men. <laughs> and we got it all together, but it was amazing. I had this whole bag of stuff left over. <laughs> you know, I, had, I thought, honey, look, they gave us extra screws and bolts, in case we lose them. And my wife's going over there, like, shaking this thing. I go, oh, that's just, you know, just to keep it loose so it doesn't fall apart. And she goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my dad. <laughs> and so, you know, my father-in-law comes over, and he, and he laughs at me, and then he puts it together right. <laughs> so, uh, that We got that term winging it from uh, World War One, where, you know, they didn't have instruments in the, in the planes, or at least very many of them. And so... When they couldn't see because the weather was bad or anything like that, you know, they said, okay, how are you going to land? The, guy, the pilot would say, I'm, I'm going to wing it because I'm, I'm going to get my wings to the place it needs to be because I've flown a plane for a long time, and then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to wing it. Well, I'm, th- I'm, gl- I'm glad that we don't have to wing it. The, the God's Word uh, gives us the strategies uh, that we need in order to succeed. And I want to... This is still the same thing. I just want to give you a couple of strategies within this strategy. 
It's a simple battle strategy. It starts in Micah 6 8. Okay? A lot of people say, How do I live for God? How do I be a God hearted man? Yes, I'm going to pray and I'm going to study His Word, but what does that look like? This is, to me, the most beautiful scripture in, in, in all of the scriptures. Because it tells you, God is saying this. Uh, he has told you, talking about God, oh man, what is good. See, when God begins to tell you, lay it out simply for you, this is great. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? It's not that difficult, what God is saying. God is saying, this is not really this difficult. All you got to do is love justice. Do justice. Love kindness and walk humbly with your God. All right, do justice. It's just living with a strong sense of right and wrong. This is moving and acting on the behalf of other people. Do justice. Love kindness. That Hebrew word for kindness there means loyal love. Love that. Loyal love. And why should we love kindness? What leads us to repentance? See, it's an attribute of Father God that he wants us to have in our hearts, to love kindness like he does, because it's kindness that leads us to repentance. See, it wasn't condemnation after I had uh, tried to commit suicide, after I had tried to drink myself to death, God brought me back with kindness to orchestrate a day that the prodigal son story would be told on the day I returned to, to, to church. That's kindness. That's not condemnation. That's kindness. And this is one of the ways we can have a heart like him when we display kindness. And God displays kindness in, in, in two ways. Forgiveness is one of them. Forgiveness. I am now 19 years old. I have walked a couple years after, after this ninth event. I am starting to to get back into the Word. I'm, 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 I'm praying more. I'm studying more. And yet there's still something off in my life. Going to college, come home one day, and my father would ambush me. He was, he was like hand, hiding behind the door. And as soon as I walked in the door, he started wailing on me with his fist. Now, I'm, I'm 18 years old, almost 19 years old, and I'm, I'm, I am physically strong enough to stop him. I grabbed his, his fist and I said, Dad, you can't hit me anymore. You just can't hit me anymore. And I start to walk upstairs to my, to my room. And he is following me up the stairs, calling me every vile name that you can think of. My father raised swearing to an art form. Uh, it was an old language for him. And he knew words that I just, I still don't know what they mean. I mean, they're just, <laughs> he just knew these words. And he's calling me every name. And, and I had heard this song before, so it wasn't, really getting to me, got near to the top of the stairs and he said the thing that crossed the line. He says, and I know what you're doing with your mother. You can fill in the blank there. And I, and I snapped. I snapped. I'm on the top step. His head is about right here on the couple steps below me. I know if I pivot and I hit him, he's probably going to fall down the stairs and break his neck. And at this point, I don't care. I'm done. I don't know how fast God can talk, but God can talk really fast, right? Right? And the funny thing is, he almost gives you this kind of like out-of-body look at what you're going through sometimes. And I am, I am pivoting. I am going to hit him with everything that I have. And my fist, I'm watching it, and it's unfurling, and it's going to a point of finger. And I said to my father, Father, I love you, and I forgive you. Wow, that means I'm done. Sorry, guys. I'll see you later. <laughs> I said, I said, I'll be, I'll get you out of here. I promise. Dad, I forgive you. Those were, those weren't the words I was planning on saying. You know what I'm saying? Those weren't the words that I thought might come out of my mouth. My father, for the, probably for the first time ever, 
stopped in his tracks, looked at me, and walked down the stairs. He had no idea what to say. Swearing stopped. He was mumbling underneath his breath, but he went downstairs. And I went up to my room and I sat in my bed. I said, God, what just happened? I said, two things here, Dad. I said, it's my kindness that leads people to repentance. I just gave your father a moment. I just gave him a moment. But you had to forgive first. Forgiveness is the freedom that connects our heart with our Father God. At that moment, he was saying to my father, he said, you know, no matter what you've done to your son, I've given you a moment here. You could repent and you could be forgiven of it as if never happened. Your son has forgiven you. Will you take this moment? I would love to tell you that he did, but he didn't. My father and I, actually, he died alone in his house, estranged from all his family. My mom had passed away uh, many years prior to that. But I am overwhelmed by the kindness of God that he would extend that to my dad. I had to forgive for me. It wasn't really for my dad. You see, because when I forgave my dad, that's when I really started to walk in freedom. See, Until that point, I was still kind of like half in, half out of this prison of unforgiveness. There was things I I held against him because of all the abuse. But when I made that verbal choice to forgive him, well, God made it for me, it seems like, I started to walk in a whole different way. It took years of climbing out of this abuse stuff. Of course it does. You know, none of that stuff is overnight. But I was I, I had a different view view of Father God from that day on. And I understood his kindness from a personal aspect of it. See, when we do these kind of things, when we pray, when we read his word, when we do justice, love kindness, and we walk humbly. Now think about this. God is telling us what a good man looks like. It is defined by his actions. All those are action words. God bless you. All those are action words, right? Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly. Jesus is the most powerful example of humbleness on the planet. I love doing communion at church. I absolutely love it. It's one of my most powerful moments just for me personally. And in order to... uh, because it takes on this connotation. It says when on the night that he was betrayed, think about that for a moment. Jesus shares his last meal, says he's earned, eagerly desired to share this meal with them, and he knew every one of them were going to desert him that night. And he humbly washes their feet. See, when we walk humbly, we walk like Jesus. And here's the thing about humble people. I believe humble people are the most powerful people on the planet. Because if, you're, if you can walk humbly like Jesus, you'll do anything Jesus tells you to do, you'll go wherever Jesus tells you to go, and you'll say whatever Jesus tells you to say. Because it's no longer about you. It's about Him. To walk humbly with your God. See, that's, that's powerful, powerful, powerful. And the night He was betrayed, he washes the feet of the men that would, those same feet that were going to run away from him. All right, let's get to the third one: worship. Worship is the our battle cry. It's the third prong of this attack. Psalm one forty nine six says, "May the praise of God be in their mouths." And and here, get back to this, and a double edged sword that's sticking on here. I love the double-edged sword thing because it means that there isn't an edge that's not sharp. I know this is maybe sometimes uh, this is sometimes a tricky one for men because we think, uh, well, I don't really like to stand and sing and 
and you know, raise my hands or maybe move around too much because that's kind of like unmanly, right? But worship is more than singing. Worship inspires singing and shouts of joy and other emotional expressions, but worship is a deeper connection to God's heart. Worship is a life that is centered on God. That's what worship is. Where every part of our life, everything that we do, everything that we work at or we move in is worship when we do it with all our might towards a God who loves us. That is worship. It sometimes involves singing. It sometimes may be doing some kind of thing that looks like a dance, but maybe isn't. You know, It's a heart and a life that is centered on God's heart. God-hearted men worship God because of who He is and what He has done for us. He has saved us, forgiven us, rescued us, and adopted us. I love the fact that God will not leave us as orphans. I love that. Because I certainly felt like an orphan for many years of my life. And worship enables us to see life the way God sees it. Okay, one last story here to get this through. Shortly before Christmas of 2015, my wife got the phone call that nobody wants to get. Metastatic melanoma. One of the worst cancers you can get. And at the time, usually when they discover it, it's too late. She calls me at work. I, of course, rush home. Uh, we, we, we took a walk to a nearby park, crying, trying to regain some kind of composure, trying to figure out how we're going to tell the kids later on, how, how we're going to tell the rest of our family, how we're going to tell the, the, the church, and you know all those thoughts that are just running around your head because... You know, stage four metastatic melanoma is not a good prognosis. It had manifested in a golf ball-sized tumor in my wife's leg. We get to the park, and we're still kind of crying and starting to settle down a little bit, and it was almost instantaneously we both looked at each other and said these words. But God is good. And what we started to do, we started to worship. Right there in this park bench, there was all kinds of people walking about, and we're just raising our hands saying, God, you are good. You are good. And no matter what happens, you are still good. My wife's saying, if I lose my life, I, I know where I'm going. I, you are good. And we're saying to this, and people are walking around us, because you know what? Worship is about his heart, not ours. We started to worship. The wonderful thing about worship, I, I love this. Worship takes your eyes off your circumstances and puts your eyes on Him. And once you're looking at Him, you get to see the direction that you need to go. You start to get wisdom through the Holy Spirit about what you need to do. And my wife and I got this battle plan about how to treat her health. And it wasn't through chemotherapy. I'm not saying anyone that's ever gone through that. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's not the path we chose. We chose a much different path. 2017, my wife is cancer-free. Praise God. But I believe, and I honestly believe that if we had, if we had succumbed to the to the to the sorrow and to the pain and to the and to the fear, and we did not worship, we would have never gotten that battle plan from God on how to deal with this. We worshipped, and we saw God. We saw how good He was. We saw the wisdom that he had, and we went with it, and we ran with it, and my wife is cancer-free. See, worship takes your eyes off of your stuff and puts it on God, and then your heart starts to align with his more and more, and that's the battle strategy that we need. We need to, we need to pray. We need to read his word. We need to worship because all these things takes our eyes off of who we are and puts them on who He is. And there's freedom in that. All right. I've got to get you down here in five minutes. I promise this. I promise. I'm going to get this done.
Acts 16, 25 to 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Worship frees people from captivity. It breaks the chains of fear and sorrow. Worship is the, one of the most powerful weapons we have as a Christian. And certainly if we want our heart to align with His, we need to worship the God who loves us so desperately. So look, I'm, I'm going to just close. I'm going to tell you this. If you want my notes, there's a lot more in there. Just leave me your email. You can stop by my table. You can pick up a business card so you know what my email address is and all that kind of stuff. I, I'll be, free of charge, I'll send you these notes. Okay, I've, I've done this almost every seminar I do. I never get through everything because there's not enough time. And I want you to eat. Any real questions? Real quick. If you ask a faith question, I'm just going to treat it like fake news and I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these wonderful men. I pray a blessing over there. I, I pray that you would bless them financially. You would bless them relationally. You would bless them spiritually and bless their health, bless their families. I pray, Father, for the rest of the day, uh, they will know and feel your great love towards them. I pray that they will walk in freedom and power and might, uh, that they will uh, go home to their families and love on them a lot and continue to love on them. I pray for freedom for every part of their lives. And I pray that everywhere they go, they will drip Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I trust this message has provided practical encouragement to you in your journey with Christ. Please visit GatheringOfMen.com to learn more about how Gathering of Men works to help churches reach and build men.